Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio, a show just for teens, their parents, and educators to come together and discuss the issues that are affecting our youth today. Your host is Brandy England. Brandy is joined each week by amazing guests, as well as a regular panel of co-hosts who are here to give you ideas and encouragement every step of the way. We also have plenty of other surprises on today's show. So let's get started. Here's your host, Brandy England. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Teen Wealth Radio. I hope you're having a lovely Monday wherever you are. I'm really excited because we have a super cool guest on today who knows a ton of things about one of our favorite topics here at Teen Wealth, which is money and budgeting, because it's one of the hardest things we have to do, but we all need money to live, survive, eat, play, etc. We have Rebecca here as my co-host today. She's hanging out because She's an actor as well, and sometimes it's really hard to budget your finances when there's one paycheck that comes, and it's really big, and then there's nothing for months, and so she might jump in and join us too, but our guest today is Ed Vargo, and Ed is a financial advisor for Burning River Advisory Group, and he's also got an incredible passion project called Enlighten Her, and I'm excited because I'm a female, and sometimes I find money boring and budgeting boring and finances very, very, very boring and way over my head when I see all the people talking about stocks and all these things and investments and it just kind of freaks us out. And so unfortunately, I think a lot of us don't learn what we need to learn uh, when we're younger. Uh, And so Ed, thank you for joining us. I think this is going to be a great hour and I'm going to just shut up and let you teach us because you have created something incredible. So can you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you're passionate about? Sure. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah. As you mentioned, uh, now my primary profession is a financial advisor. I've been in financial services for the past 20 years. And the majority of that time I've spent working directly with women. So if you know anything about the financial services industry, you'll know that financial services doesn't have the best reputation, generally speaking, of working with women. Um, There's some challenges in terms that the industry has in collaborating and working closely with women. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. A lot of it just kind of how the industry grew up which is really beyond the scope of today's conversation. But the reason I bring it up is because it is somewhat unique and it's particularly unique when you're a male working with female clients. Like you you see female financial advisors working with women, but it's less common for, excuse me, a man to work with women. So, which begs the question, well, why is that? You know, I get that question all the time, but why have you chosen to take your professional career and direct towards working with women? And that really falls on two areas that are really important in my life. It's my family and going back to my mom and my five daughters. And if there's anything anyone needs to know about Ed, it would be the fact that he is a proud father of five relatively young women. Their ages are you know, 15, 17, 18, 19, and 21. So uh, really busy with those girls and everything I do personally and professionally is colored by them. So when you think about, you know, Ed and why is he working professionally? Why is he work so closely with women? It really comes down to my mom's situation growing up. And I'll get into that in just a second. And of course, my girls, because I want my girls to grow up to be strong financially. It's really important for me, you know, in this profession, because I've seen like when money's used really well and used for positive things. And when you have control over it, it can do amazing things for you. I, let me say it this way. It's not that it can do amazing things for you. It can allow you to do amazing things. And that's the difference, right? It's because oftentimes we, we think of money as an, an objective. Like we want to have money. We want to make money. We have to manage money. 
And so we, we place obviously a lot of emphasis around having money as we should, but I think of money as a tool, just like any other tool, a very important tool, maybe one of the most important tools we have, but it's a tool that allows us to do the things that are important to us. It allows us the freedom to go after those projects that we want to go after or to live the life that we want to live. And so um, that Enlightenment is a great example of that. My primary profession is financial advisor, working closely with women. Um, I'm allowed to do this passion project because I have the financial resources to put into something that doesn't necessarily have to make me money. So I'll be jumping around quite a bit, I imagine, in this conversation today, but but that's you know how I think about money and why it's so important to manage it effectively, or at least understand how to think about money effectively. Yeah. So why I'm working directly with women has something to do with my girls, of course. That's sort of the future. Like, like the, I envision this future to where we can really go out and reach women and educate women to embrace finance more so, to not mm-hmm. put up so many barriers. And some of those mm-hmm. barriers aren't theirs, you know, aren't women of women's construction, right? They're kind of already there. They have to work around, but sometimes we all place certain barriers in front of us so we can break down those walls. So the mental barriers that we place before us, you know, that's part of what Enlighten Her is about. But then I go back to my mom's situation and, you know, it didn't dawn on me um, for a long time about how interconnected my personal life and my professional life are, because on the surface, you wouldn't think there's any connection between the two. But then I go back and to give you a little bit of background, now my parents um, got married. Well, my father was drafted during Vietnam and was stationed in South Korea during Vietnam, where he met my mother and they got married. And uh, they had my brother, my older brother was born there. And I think I was conceived there and they came back to the United States. You know, the timeline works out in that sense. But so, you know, my parents, um, like I said, they met in Korea, they moved here to the United States, and then they had, you know, four children, but this is, it doesn't have a great ending because my parents got divorced when I was young, probably around nine, between nine and 12 years old. I really don't know. You know how sometimes that works. Yeah. And so what happened though, with my mom is she had to give up custody of us four children because she had no economic mobility. She had no ability to take care for us financially. And so she didn't have a choice at that point, right? She was forced to give up custody of her children because of money. And I think about that and it still bothers me to a certain extent today, right? I just think about how awful that must have been for her and how preventable it should be. And it, um, and that's really the, the impetus behind helping women, quite frankly, is like, I don't want it just, it bothers me today that women still have to make that choice or maybe not that dramatic because you don't see that as often, but they are still making choices to say, you know, we work with a lot of women going through divorce, right? And so we hear these heartbreaking stories of like, I've got to remain in this relationship because financially, I don't know how I'm going to get out. I don't know how I'm going to live and survive, right? So they're forced to remain in these difficult environments or these unhealthy, toxic environments because of money. And so- it took a long time for me to really realize like how connected my upbringing was to with my, how my career path, you know, my chosen career path. Cause it wasn't like I decided one day, yeah, I'm going to work with women. This is great market. You know, it wasn't like a business decision organically through the conversations I was having and through the support that we provide women in the way we provided, we just started to 
to attract more and more women to the practice. And next thing you know, I woke up one day and did some research, you know, did some insight into the practice and three quarters of our client base were women, which is completely unusual in the industry, right? It's usually just the opposite. Almost all clients, I mean, almost all advisors are men and then they typically work with other men, you know? And so here, here we were, this anomaly that we're attracting a lot more women to the practice. And again, not by design. And then at some point, you know, we did pivot. We said, you know, we're really good at, when I say we, it's myself and I have a female financial advisor I work closely with. You know, I started the practice and, um, and then she came on board, but so it's the two of us. But we've built this practice to where we primarily work with women, not exclusively, but um, primarily, and that's really unusual. Well, we appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, I, 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 it's just so interesting to me, and that's why I was so glad that we got in contact too. Because even my girlfriends and I, when we've gone out for lunch and we talk about things like men from a very early age are taught that, well, at least in my generation, they were taught like if you don't have a nice car and a nice house, you'll never get the girl of your dreams, or you're not a successful man. And so men are automatically thinking about this is my drive. I need to make money. Let me figure out how to invest and 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 be wealthy and and I think as females, we're sometimes directed on a different path. And so that's not our immediate thought is how can I educate myself not only on business, but on budgeting and finances, because it's not like our immediate, oh, this is what you must do to be successful as a female. I don't know. Rebecca, can you give me a nod? Are you in the same? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I would, I would agree with that. Like, I, you're not really, it's not really driven home, like the financial speak, that's not really seen as your domain. It's more like, well, you know, how are you going to prepare to have children and how are you going to train your man kind of thing, mm. <laughs> like rather than anything with finances. Although I will say that um, my personally, my upbringing was very much, um, you know, get an education so that I could support myself kind of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 What you see is like it is different today than it was obviously growing up. I'm 48 years old. Right. So I grew up in the you know 80s, basically. Um and that mentality was different than what it is today. So I think certainly women have far more economic mobility and uh, power than they've ever had before, right? And so it is different based upon generations and how we think about mo- how, how money's thought of, but there is a gap between how men, I shouldn't say a gap, there's a difference between how men think about money and women think about money, just inherently, right? Not from a societal standpoint, but just money means different things, you know? So for men, um, there is a, it's more concrete and we see this, I mean, there's been plenty of studies that, that back this up, but like men tend to think more concrete about money. They think about rate of return. How much money do I have? It could be um, a measure of power and success, right? There's an ego component to that. And I don't say that in a negative way. Men often are competitive when it comes to money. Like, you know, I have more money. I had more sales. You know, I had this rate of return. Those conversations don't typically happen with women. Women tend to think about money more from the context of what can this money do for me? Like, what, why do I need this money? I need this money because I want to have independence. I want to have freedom. I don't want to be relying upon other people, you know, to live. Um, I want safety and security. Mm-hmm. So it's different. Like men are more competitive around money, more driven by the how much dollars, how many dollars they accumulate and women are less so. And so right off the bat, you know, um, I mean, if you focus on something very heavily like money, and if it's more of a male centric way of thinking, you're probably going to spend more time there. You're probably going to make more money or at least, you know, reside in that space more. And you're right. Like I think far too many women are just not as interested in it, or maybe they're not exposed to it, whatever the case may be, they're not embracing it nearly as much. 
Um, yeah, I also think it's a it's a very weird framing around it as well because, yes, you're right, we are sort of um, given the tools to empower ourselves more today, but it's still kind of seen as an option rather than, like, the thing you need to do. Um, like, for example, there are people in my life who you know, they've, they've been raised to have like a really great career and they've, they've worked to, to make this wonderful life for themselves and they are really independent. But then when it came um, to her fiance, it was uh, when he wanted to move uh, states and things like that, everyone was sort of expecting her to follow him uh, and sort of give up her career for his career because like his paid more or it didn't really matter. Like her, even though she was well established in her career rights and financially stable, that was like, a bonus not like something she actually had to do it was weird yeah it's an interesting point I know friends like have had similar situations to that it's, it's very interesting so yeah yeah along those lines I do see that there is um there are some old school ways of thinking and I don't know exactly how or why that comes about but I think women can be either too deferential or expected to be too deferential to the men in their lives. It's one of the challenges that I find and one of the things I really rally against or rally around and work against. Like for my girls, one of the things I tell them distinctly and I've had very direct conversations with them about money. I'm like, you will not let another man in your life, anyone else in your life control your money. You will not give up your financial power. Now you can share that power, absolutely, right? An equal partner, work on it together, 100%, that's cool. No problem with that whatsoever but you cannot just turn over your finances to that other person, husband, father, father who's a financial advisor like me. No, you don't turn that stuff over because you put yourself in an extremely vulnerable position when you do that, if things go wrong. Sometimes things go wrong for the wrong reasons, like you you get a divorce through bad behavior or things go wrong just because of circumstance. Someone gets in a car accident, dies from some medical condition and you're left holding the bag. You're vulnerable either way. And so we shouldn't, as women, you know, women shouldn't opt into that. They shouldn't embrace that. And I, I don't know exactly, again, and we're trying to work through this with Enlighten Her and try and get more feedback and some data around why women are more apt to just turn over their finances to others. I think there's a number of reasons, though, that I've kind of speculated in what I've seen. And especially if you're like married and you have children, it, what ends up happening is you have a division of labor, right? Like, so the guy is capable or likes cutting the grass. Well, well, I don't mean the gender stereotype if I am, I don't mean to, but let's just say guy cuts the grass because he likes cutting the grass, right? Or I like shoveling snow, weird as that is. Like I'll go out and shovel snow because I enjoy it. I don't that like is cutting weird. the grass. Just, yeah. just FYI. <laughs> just saying, right. <laughs> but I like cutting grass actually because I love that smell. So you're good. This right. <laughs> would be perfect. I would, I would take on the shoveling and you could cut the grass, right? So that's a great example of division of labor. Hey, you like to cut the grass. I don't go for it. And you do that in these relationships, you don't have to think much about it. It's the natural course of how things go. Makes sense. And as you get busier in your life, if you had children or careers and stuff like that, you do more and more of that division of labor and you kind of have your chores. And oftentimes it doesn't necessarily come down to a discussion. It just kind of, you work into it, but money becomes a part of that too, right? So let's say that, you know, the woman's just like, I just, I don't really like money. Just say she doesn't like money. Like I find that men, tend to like money more so than women like it, right? I'm not saying capable of dealing with it because I don't believe that's true. But just generally speaking, I just don't think women find it as enjoyable as men do. 
Yeah. And because so you don't have that competitive nature you were talking about earlier, right? Is that kind of maybe where that comes from? Because I know when I compete for something, like I'm a very competitive person. I, I think that's what drives me to want to learn more and do more. And I don't think we were taught that that's something that's like a status thing for us. So maybe it doesn't give us the competitive edge. Is that, is that correct? I think that's definitely a part of it. I don't think there's yeah. any question around it, right? And so, um, and if you're competitive, something you want to be good at it, right? So you mm-hmm. study, you le- read up on it, right? So you're more invested, um, no pun intended, in that world. So, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> right. So you know, you you just do that. So so you get busy, and then the wife's like, yeah, you know, why don't you just handle this financial stuff, and I'll handle this stuff over here, and like, mm-hmm. fine, great, everybody's happy because you know, and when when you're in a good relationship and everything's working just fine, that mm-hmm. actually can work just fine, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is we're not always in good relationships or things change. Yeah. We have to remember that because for a lot of our listeners or teenagers, I think we always think that when we get into one hole, we're stuck there and everything changes, but we do have to go to commercial break. So I'm going to change the conversation and we're going to go to a commercial break and we'll be right back everyone. <laughs> The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hey you. Yeah you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Hey everybody, welcome back. We're still here talking with Ed Vargo about money and we were having a very exciting conversation about relationships and the relativity to money during the commercial break, but I'm going to let it go back to Ed because Ed, you have so much great insight for us and then Rebecca and I, I'm sure, will jump in with our passionate questions a little bit later. <laughs> sure, thanks. Um, like I said, like we, we have this, we settle into this division of labor and that's a very natural, normal thing to do when you're in a committed relationship. It's just how you do it. But money needs to be elevated. Money cannot be just one of the other tasks, right? Because think of it this way. Like if I didn't know how to cut the grass, right? Um, and I was forced to have to cut the grass because either we, you know, we, we broke up or you, know, you passed away or something like that. It's pretty easy for me to figure that out. And even if I couldn't figure out how to cut the grass, the implications of that aren't great, right? I just have some neighbors who are mad at me because I didn't cut the grass. But if you're handling all the money, and I don't really know where most of the money is going, and now I'm forced to have to deal with it, that's a real problem, right? Because now I have to get caught up on so many things. And as you stated earlier, money's not simple. Money is complicated. And money across, when I say money, I mean not just dollars, but everything that money touches. And so if you think about money, one of the major challenges with understanding and learning about money is the depth and breadth of what we're talking about. So it's not just investing, it's not savings, it's not just cash flow, it's insurance, state plan. There's a whole host of things I could rattle them off. And if you're not used to doing that stuff on a regular basis and you get thrust into that environment to where now you have to do it on your own, or you know, you, you come home and you've been married and like your husband says, I want a divorce. I mean, this, this happens. Like we, we've seen so many like 50 and 60 year old women who are getting divorced later in life, sometimes of their own choosing, sometimes out of the blue, and they haven't looked at their finances closely in 15 years. Like, how vulnerable is that person at that moment? They're, because they've given up their financial power along the way. So the idea is that you, you just, as much as it might be, you might be compelled to do so, or it just might seem it's easier, because a lot of times that's what it is. It's just easier and it makes sense, right? It's just another division of labor. Let's just do this. You like it, run with it. But it's dangerous because, you know, when divorce, you know, 50% of first marriages end in divorce and 60% of second marriages end in divorce and 70% of third marriages end in divorce, like you need to advocate for yourself and you just can't give up that financial power. So it's one of the things that not only do I want to see for my girls, but I think women in general should just, don't be afraid of stepping into that world and advocating for yourself. And, and sometimes the problem is men, and this is always a weird thing with me because there's an ego thing with money and men that I just don't see in women. And maybe because I'm another male, but like I never have this sort of clashing of egos when I work with a woman, but I do have a clashing of egos when I work with other men. It's a really bizarre thing. It's like, did you come into this conversation to try and like play stump the advisor or did yeah. you come into the conversation to like actually learn and see if we might be able to help you? Like, why are you here? You know, and it's that competitive nature again. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre. And they'll have a different conversation with Milena, who's my business partner. Like, so the, the guy will have a certain conversation with her in a different way. And I've had, there's been a number of cases where, you know, like Milena spoke to the couple and says, oh yeah, they're great. He's great. She's great. It's fine. And then I get into the conversation and it's like, he wants to get into an arm wrestling match with me over nothing, right? It's just a weird thing. So money, the thing about money is it's emotional. It's really emotional and it's very personal. And one of the things that I'm really teaching, particularly younger folks, I think if you can get this idea, it's really for anyone because it's not thought about in this way, but I think of money as an extension of your values. 
And at this, and you know, I would say this way: show me what somebody spends their money on, and I'll tell you what they value. Now, what ends up happening, though, the interesting thing about that is when you ask those people what do they value, they give you a laundry list of X, and then they spend their money in like Y. But what you say doesn't matter so much as what you do. This is one of the things I tell my kids all the time. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by Emerson. And he said, what you do screams so loudly, I can't hear you. Right. And so, and I tell them, just look at what people do. You can hear what they say and give them the benefit of doubt, but then just watch what they do. And professionally, when I see people spend money a certain way, I mean, they can tell me all they want about they're really dedicated to saving for retirement or college education for their kids or getting out of debt. And yet almost all of their money is going towards spending. So it tells me that they value spending more than they do those other things. And so sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that um, we have X values when we really have Y and we wonder why we can't get ahead with our money. And that's a really important thing because when you're a younger person and you're trying to figure out or you're trying to create your money philosophies, and this is where going back to your childhood really matters. And this is something that you may, you may want to look up or spend more time on, something called money scripts or invisible money scripts. And uh, it's a term that was coined by, um, I think it was a psychologist named Klontz. His last name was Klontz. Don't hold me to that. And uh, there's a financial guru named Ramit Sethi who talks about it a lot. But like these invisible money scripts that we develop typically in younger age, like in childhood, that we carry forward into our adult life. Now, I'll give you a non-money example. Think about like traditions, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever. Say a Thanksgiving tradition, you celebrate Thanksgiving. And then you look at what foods you serve. I bet most for most of us, it's pretty much a derivative of what our parents served. Like I've seen, I've done this little test, you know, like gone to people and like, why do you serve this food? It's like, well, that's how mom did it. So that's how I do it. And you don't think of it that way. It's like, that's not a good enough reason. You would think like you're an adult person, you're 40 years old, you can choose to make anything you want to make. And you're still making that food you really don't like from mom. Like, why would you do that? Are you saying our parents aren't always right and don't know everything, Ed? Is that what you're trying to tell us? <laughs> I would never, I would never say that. <laughs> All I'm saying is that it's, it's interesting though, like behaviorally, like how we follow a certain path without really thinking about it. Now, when it's Thanksgiving dinner, it doesn't matter that much, right? But I'll give you an example for money that matters. Like my father um, was terrible with money. My dad was a good person, terrible with money, right? And he had a bunch of, you know, well, he's, he's a human, right? Good and bad. But when it comes to money, he was not very good with his money. In fact, he was awful with his money. But he never took responsibility for it, right? He always talked about money, but he talked about it in a negative way. So his money script that was playing in his head over and over again went something like this. And he didn't say this first part. So he didn't have money. That's the backdrop. He would look at other people with money and he would talk bad about those people. He would say something like, oh yeah, that's all they care about. Those just, they bought that $250,000 house, which was a lot of money back then. Oh, look at them. They just care about money. That's all they care about. You know? And so he had this very negative view towards anybody who had money because he associated that with bad. That must be a bad person. All they value was money. And because he didn't have money, he was like, look at me, I'm pure. I don't have a lot of money. I don't value that. I don't, I'm not superficial like they are. And it was a terrible way to think about it, right? So he's judging those people for having money, doesn't know them. 
And he never turned that lens on himself and said, you know, what am I doing wrong financially? Or am I doing something wrong financially? And that followed him everywhere he went. His money problems followed him. I mean, he filed bankruptcy multiple times. We had our gas and electricity shut off multiple times. He borrowed money off of people, wasn't able to pay it back. He just wasn't very good with money. And that's the world that I grew up in. And so, so that was his money script. It wasn't mine. So how did that money, his, that environment, right? So as, as parents, you know, we're creating the environment now. We're creating, whether we realize it or not, the money scripts that our kids are developing right now, right? So, um, <clears throat> and so that's really important to understand that. So I grew up in an environment where money was bad. People who had money were bad and making money was nece wasn't necessarily a good thing. And so I didn't necessarily grow up. So some, you know, you talk about parents or like, you either grow up to be exactly like your parents or the exact opposite of your parents, right? A lot of times that's, that's how it goes. Um, in my case with my father though, I didn't grow up like saying, oh, I don't believe that and I'm gonna go after and make a lot of money. I grew up very indifferent around money, like overly indifferent, like very casual around it. Like I didn't hate money. I didn't hate people who didn't have money. You know, I didn't absorb his money script, but what it created in me was an indifference around money. It just said money's not important. My dad placed so much emphasis on money and it wasn't working for him that I wasn't going to place any emphasis on money at all. And in my early 20s, it was a complete disaster. <laughs> like I was very bad with my money. Like I had a lot of debt. You know, I went to college. I, you know, had a fifth year. I didn't like take that seriously. And I come out of college with all of this debt, no real understanding around money. And then when I finally started to understand money better and create my own money scripts, I had dug myself this incredibly deep hole. And it took you know, a decade or more to try and dig myself out of it. And again, that's a long-winded way of saying that these money scripts, that these, these thoughts that we're developing now as teenagers, if you're a teenager, you're developing these right now. And you probably don't have a ton of control over that unless you start reading on your own. But as parents or educators, what we say to our children and the environment that we have at home matters a lot. And my dad never sat down and have a single money conversation with us. But I learned a ton from him because he was always talking about it. Does that make sense? Like we never talked about money like directly, but money was talked about all the time. Yeah. And then what happens in most people's lives, they carry those scripts into the future. And then it affects their philosophies around money, even into like adulthood. I see it all the time. I find that there's two topics that I think a lot of us don't talk about in general with our family members, and that's money and death. <laughs> like these are two things that are a part of life. What is the expression? Uh, death and taxes. What's death that expression? Taxes, yeah. yeah, you know, and, and I think those are such, I don't know why they're taboo subjects because they're, I mean, you live your life to the best that you can and talking about death and having kids and teenagers realize that it happens to everyone, but you can, you can do all these great things to keep yourself healthy and, and to make the best of every day and planning and incorporating money into that conversation. I don't know why these are things that we don't talk about with our, with our children. It's just so interesting. It's like, we're scared to admit that money matters because we don't want to put like you were saying how it was talked about all the time, but it was never really like discussed in terms of like something we should plan and talk about in a healthy way. It's just, mm -hmm. it's always around. So it seems like it, it makes it seem more taboo. Rebecca, am I crazy? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, I feel like, um, 
I, it's a weird thing because you're you're always seeing like seeing both ends of the scale like where it matters but it doesn't matter because they want to like protect you like for me my parents um, immigrated to Australia and they were only allowed to bring um, seven dollars fifty each and they went from having you know riches in India and having um, you know servants and and things like that to Australia where they all only had seven dollars fifty each and my grandparents were stripped of their qualifications. So um, for me, my upbringing was very much like education is important, make sure you have savings, all that sort of thing. But at the same time, they provided such a great life for me that I didn't worry about it. I, I didn't see the struggles that they went through. Like I, I didn't, I was sheltered from that. Like they they weren't all that well off growing up. And I know that now in hindsight, um, but while I was growing up, I was sheltered from it. So while they would have the conversation with me, like money is important, the way that translated uh, was like, Rebecca, you, you want this, you need to make a budget. And um, they always tease me, like the very first budget they found of mine said, ask dad for money. Um, <laughs> and then if dad says no, ask mum. <laughs> that was like how it filtered right. through like there was both of that I don't know I'm better now <laughs> yeah well that's not uncommon right I think that's one of the problems that exists one of the major issues and it's been more pervasive with women than for men I think that's been somewhat of a societal thing from early stages like it was uncouth to talk about money if you're a woman it was just not proper and if that mentality has been largely not in the public eye for a long time, but there's some spillover to that. And I just think that, but generally speaking, we don't see parents talking to their kids about money nearly as often as you think they would, because think about what money is in, in someone's life. It's, I think, I call it our most valuable personal resource. It's not the most important thing in life. I think relationships and spirituality, many other things, health are more valuable, but as far as a resource, a personal resource, I think our money is our most valuable personal resource. And it is because it's our primary means of exchange. You can take a, you know, a hundred dollar bill and turn it into literally hundreds of thousands of different items. There's nothing else that has that kind of power, nothing else. And so that's where the power of money comes from. So we should be talking about it. We should be having these conversations and it doesn't have to, I think sometimes people think that if I'm going to talk to my kids about money, I need to talk to them about the technical side of money, how to manage money or how to invest or how to get out of debt or credit scores and all these other technical items. And I'm a financial advisor, right? I haven't had almost any of those conversations with my kids. Like I don't have a lot of like direct conversations about money. Sit them down and say, well, here's how a checking account works or here's, here's the monetary policy and how it works in you know the centralized banking system in the United States. Like who does that, right? Nobody does that. The kids aren't interested in that stuff. But kids want to know, they understand money is important, even if they don't have any perspective around it. And so what I try to do is within earshot, because sometimes you can tell a kid something directly and they won't care, right? Because you're their parent. What do you know? But if they overhear you talking about it, like they don't think like, you know, they're listening or something like that. Um, we sprinkle these little teachable moments throughout, you know, our normal conversations. And I think just understanding money as a value system and like, like the pursuit of money is not bad. That's one of the, a very simple mentality yeah. to get across to your kids, pursuing money, wanting to make a lot of money. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Wrong with that. And sometimes people conflate the idea of like making a lot of money or being rich with being bad. That's a negative thing. Rich people are bad. It's like the new four letter word, but money is neutral. 
money has no inherent value. It only takes on meaning and value based upon who's using it. So in the right hands, money can be used for amazingly good things. It can be amazingly, you know, wonderful, right? If you use it for good. If you take that same dollars, put it in somebody who's bad, put it in their hands, it's amazingly bad, right? So money is neutral in and of itself. How we use that money is what matters most. And so if we can teach our kids, like one of the, my philosophies, it doesn't mean that it should be everyone's philosophy. I have a philosophy of experiences over things. Like I don't value things nearly as much as I value experiences. My girls and spending time with them and doing things with them, creating memories is so much more important to me than driving a really fancy car. That doesn't make it right for most people or anyone else out there. It just makes it right for me. But that's a conversation that we have in our household. And my girls are growing up with that mentality. They don't have to adopt it. They don't have to believe it. They, they can say, I want the big house on the hill or I want that luxury car. They could choose that on their own. We don't decide for them. But through our conversations, they've embraced the idea. Their money scripts without me having to tell them um, or even try to instill that in them is that, you know, experiences over things. And I, again, that's... Sorry, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. But just um, with you talking about like the money script and the, like say you're um, a teenager listening to this and you're not entirely sure you want to accept the money script that your parents are providing for you, where do you go to start like changing that narrative? Yeah, I think the first thing is, is to identify that it's happening or just being aware that it's happening. And it's usually not overt, right? Parents aren't usually, you know, trying to create these money scripts in their kids. That's not how it normally works, but it's happening anyway. So the first thing is, is to be aware that what, what is being talked about money or how is money being talked about in the household and what, what are my beliefs around money and why? So I would start there. What are my beliefs around money and why? And then if you're like, yeah, I really don't believe that. Like if, if my girl said, Ed, dad, I really don't think that um, I would rather have the a really big house, I'd really rather have a luxury car than to be able to go on a, a really nice vacation with you know, my spouse or my kids. That's just more important to me. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever, right? So I think to your question though, is how do they, how do they move you know, past their parents' money scripts? And I don't know if there's any one single right answer to that because it really does depend on what that money script is. Right. So if you grew up in my household where my dad's money script was that all rich people are evil. Right. So that's a very different money script than experiences over things. Right. So the answers to those questions, um, it's elusive to find a single answer to those questions. But being aware of what the question is and then attacking it from that way and just questioning that belief is the biggest thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So the idea of experiences over things, I would just ask, because why? Why is it more important to have experiences over things? Why is that valuable? Why are rich people evil? Right? Like <laughs> answer that question. Why, why is that? And of course, yeah. I don't believe that by any stretch of the imagination, you know, but that was my father's money script. Um, and again, it followed him everywhere he went. Yeah. And I feel you on that because my, my family, similar things, like even my business partners now that are like very wealthy, multimillionaires, investors, et cetera, et cetera. They keep saying to me, they're like, Brandy, why do you hate money so much? I was like, I don't hate money. This was like five or six years ago. They're like, yeah, but you don't ever accept it. Like we're trying to give you money to help you with your nonprofit and your business and all these things. And I was like, 
you, they're, they're like, it's like as if you take it, there's something bad in your head. But we do have to go to our last commercial break. And then we have another 15 minutes with Ed. Um, and so we're going to steal some of his great tips <laughs> to share with everyone and then share uh, his great website, which is called enlightenher.com. And we'll, we'll have that in the bio as well. But we'll be back in just two minutes after these breaks, everyone. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to brandy at globalteenwealth.com. That's brandy with an I at globalteenwealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I think you can hear um, the passion in all three of our voices when we're talking about this subject. And we could probably do a 10-hour show talking about money and finances and what it means to each person and how it entrenches into relationships. And it's just something that affects all of us, especially during the time in the world right now of COVID. I mean, people are scared to spend money. They're not sure what's coming for jobs, for taxes, for anything in the next few years. And, and it's a, it's a scary time. So if you're a parent or a teacher listening, talk to your kids about money. If you don't know how reach out to Ed, go to enlightenher.com. Um, we'll have all the information on how to find out more about this program, especially for your young ladies that you're trying to teach about the world, because it's really important to prepare ourselves now and not be scared about this conversation. Um, and we only have about 10, 15 minutes left before the end of the show. Are there any key things that you really want to drive home for our audience today? Because I know I would love to keep you on for 10 more hours because there's just so much good stuff that you have, but is there any key stuff that you really want to share with our audience today from your life experience, et cetera? 
Yeah, I think touching on what you mentioned earlier is that we, we should embrace the conversation around money. We have to, we can no longer have money, uh, the money conversation, a taboo. It's not taboo to talk about money. Now, it doesn't mean parents have to tell their kids how much money they make. It doesn't mean you have to be that transparent. Although I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing either, but we have to start having these conversations about money and understanding that money, again, is a very positive thing if we use money for good. So we should never shy away from making money or making money an important topic and conversation in our life. Now, it doesn't have to rule over us. That's where it tilts into, you know, it goes from good to bad. I mean, anything good can become bad. So just if we just want to make sure that we money has its proper place in our life and it should have a place of prominence, one of the highest places of prominence in our life, we should prioritize it. And I'm talking about our understanding of money and how it works, not necessarily seeking out and making the most money, because I don't necessarily believe that either. Um, That's a whole different type of conversation. So I would first embrace the idea, excuse me, of um, let's have this conversation about money. Let's not think of money as bad. It is a amazingly powerful resource and we could do amazingly positive things with it. And at the end of the day, if you end up making too much money, you can be as generous as you want to be, right? You can do a lot of good for the world when you make more money. Okay. That's the first thing is getting that money mindset right. And then I can tell you about some things that I find get in people's way, like what what successful people do with money. Um, And it, it doesn't mean you have to have a lot of money. Like, I think that's a misnomer. There's so many people out there who think I need to make a lot of money to be happy. And that's just not true. In fact, there's been tons of evidence that show after a certain amount of income, like a baseline income, let's just say it's household incomes of 70,000. Not that that's a small number, but like there's um, no correlation with happiness at that point in time. So people think they need to make all this money. They need to make, you know, six figures, you know, mid all this stuff to be happy. And it's not necessarily true. What is true though, is you can't have wants that are bigger than your paycheck. And that's really the key to it, right? Because if you live a simple life, like I'll give an example, we have plenty of clients that make $30,000, they're in retirement, they make $30,000. And they're super happy, super content, they live a simple life. And we have clients who make $300,000 and are miserable. They're grinding away every day at work, they need to make more money. I literally had a guy say to me, well, I don't want to live on rice and beans in my retirement. And he was talking about $100,000 a year after taxes in retirement. I'm like, that's that's rice and beans to you, right? So that's how twisted sometimes people get. Yeah. They don't they don't really realize, they can't see themselves for you know, their situation. And that's a good problem. Like that's a problem of affluence, but lack of perspective. And so if we can keep our spending and our savings in control, like in alignment with each other, um, then we don't get ourselves into too much trouble. So it's, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. Like we just can't let our wants outstrip our paycheck. Yeah. And, we, and we shouldn't be judging ourselves and our success in life based upon what, what we have in relation to what other people have. I mean, obviously we've all heard of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And that affects us in so many ways. So people go on, you know, Instagram and they look at this amazing vacation that like, how do they do, how do these kids go on these amazing vacations or how do these people go on these amazing vacations? And they want that, right? We want it, whether you're 45 or you're 15, you want that life. And you think like that's normal, but it's not normal, 
right? But we, but social media has normalized so many things and we, and it comes right to us. So, so that, and a lot of it does take money, the big house, the fancy car. And we think that's success, but it's been my experience. Fancy car doesn't buy you success at mm-hmm. all. Like I drive a 2007 Jeep commander has like yeah. 195,000 miles on it. And literally my, my game plan is it's just going to die on the side of the road and I'm going to have to Uber home. That's kind of my game plan, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I say that half jokingly, but half seriously. But what that does for me, it allows me what I started um, when my my oldest daughter turned 16, I had this idea that it would be great for to do like a trip, just her and myself, father daughter trip, you know, like when he turned 18, they get to pick the place where we get to go. And it'd be a wonderful experience, right? What, what an amazing thing to be able to do that. And so the trick was two, one, I needed my wife to buy into the idea, which is no small feat. And then two, <laughs> it was, um, can we afford it? How are we going to pay for it? Yeah. Right. Cause you know, a trip like that's going to cost a certain amount of money. And if I'm going to add on a trip, I've got to find ways to pay for it. Right. It just doesn't materialize out of the air because I want it. Mm-hmm. And so I had to figure out what was the trade-off? What was I going to trade off? What was I not going to spend money on in order to come up with the money to pay for this trip? And it turned out to be a very simple decision. It was basically, I couldn't get a new car. Mm-hmm. Like if I wanted to pay for these trips, yeah. I could afford to do so if I just kept driving the commander, right? right? And so I've been driving that thing for a long time now. I haven't had a car payment on it for a long time now. But what I've, I've had two amazing you know, trips with my girls Mm-hmm. Um, that I wouldn't have been able to do if I didn't make that decision. Yeah. And so what, what I also didn't do is I didn't just do it anyway. I didn't just go into debt to make this vacation happen. Yeah. The smart choice was to say, I need to make some trade-offs here. And is it worth it? And that's a personal choice. And every day we're making these trade-offs and how we spend our money, how we utilize our dollars. And I find that people get mad at their money for doing exactly what for their money doing exactly what they tell it to do, but they get mad at their money for it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Yep. I totally. And I love that you said the part about um, if you're going to spend money on one thing, that's really important. You have to cut back on something else because I think I know I'm in the generation where we're like, treat yourself. And it's kind of become like the, we call it the Frappuccino mentality at my office, because if you were like, Oh, I, I, I spend $7 a day on a coffee. And my grandparents never did that. They chose, well, we're going to put food on the table for our kids or, and that was always the most important. And I think we're in this mentality now of, oh, I'll just go into debt because it doesn't really matter. Um, And then something like COVID hits and everyone goes, oh crap, I don't have a savings account. Yes, I ate my ice cream yesterday. And yes, I went to Mexico twice last year, but I, so it's balance, education, all of this is so important. So yeah, I'm glad. Look, we only, oh my gosh, see, an hour goes by so quick when we're passionate. We have about two minutes left. Ed, is there anything that you really want to nail home? Because I know Rebecca and I could ask like a thousand questions still. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to like belabor the point, but I think this is a, you know, a show for teens and, you know, parents and educators, like, you, you need to educate people need mm-hmm. teens need to be educated. They need to be taught. There's no, there's nothing in the system that teaches kids about money. And it's one of the most crucial skill sets you can develop. And there's no channel. There's no pathway to get young people educated. They learn by living life. And that's a very expensive way to do it. Yeah. I mean, just think about all the mistakes you made growing up. And if you could eliminate those, if someone could have tapped you on the shoulder when you were 15 or 21 and said, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do these things. Let me tell you Mm -hmm. what I've learned. 
we need yeah. to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we, it's, yeah, I think people are scared to talk about it. It's just so funny. So um, what are three things that parents could do if they wanted to reach out and, and find out more about your program for their daughters or their kids in general? Like, yeah. How do we get people in touch with you so you can help? Cause your program is amazing. So. Yeah, I just come to enlightenher.com. That's the hub of everything we do. We're just getting started, right? So we're in the early stages. We're coming out with our first course coming up called uh, Money Talks with Teens. And uh, we'll be building upon that. We try to put out a blog every week to get information in your hands. Just find a couple of trusted sources. You don't need a dozen. You don't even need a half dozen. A few trusted sources that you can go to. And then create a dialogue. Like I would say create a dialogue with me. I'm looking Mm -hmm. to have these conversations, right? We're at the stage where we're eager to have conversations and engage with the public. And yeah. uh, we have the ability and the time to do it right now. So I would just be more proactive uh, on this topic than ever before. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and being a dad of five kids, I mean, you probably have some really great insight on how to make it a little bit more exciting than the average budgeting course that we sometimes get in high school. Um, we only have less than a minute left and I ask everyone this question at the end of the show because it's my favorite question. Rebecca, I want to thank you for being here to co-host with me because you're amazing. Um, but if you had had 30 seconds to make the entire world sit down, shut up and listen to one lesson that you wanted to share to the entire world, what would it be? Have balance. When people... With, with their money in particular, I think it's a good life lesson, but with their money, have balance. You can't spend all your money and think you're going to be prosperous, but neither should you save all your money and not live life for today. So the trick is, how do you find the right balance between saving for tomorrow and putting money away for things that go bump in the night and living for today? You have to have balance between the two. And of course, that's the trick. You know, How do you know you're in balance or not? Perfect. And uh, like I said, if you ever want to come back, our show is more than welcome. We need we need you more than ever, especially in this day and age with COVID and everything. So Rebecca, thank you for being here. Ed, thanks for being yeah, such right. a phenomenal guest and, and for creating this program because we need it. And we'll see you all same time, same place next week. Team Wealth Radio live at five. Thanks for being part of Teen Wealth Radio. Please join your host, Brandy England, her guests, and panel of experts again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you here for the next show.